Hello, and welcome to this live recording from Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. This message was given by Peter Christofides at our Buragoon campus. So sit back, listen in, and enjoy what God's got to say to you. Well, good morning. Good to be together to praise Jesus together. A little bit of feedback. Um, at the Kubelup campus, we've been able to start a Saturday night service, as you know. Uh, thank you for your prayers. It's been going for nearly two months now, and uh, God's been gracious. Uh, about 40 people gather each week on average, and um, we praise God together. There's a message, and then we all have a meal together. And so God's been with us, and we're really grateful uh, for that and for your prayers. We carry on in our series on the heart of kings, and today we deal with King Hezekiah and the issue of righteousness, righteousness. It was Edmund Burke who said, the only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. And he said it in the context of a a writing that he wrote in 1770. And he said, whilst men are linked together... They easily and speedily communicate the alarm of any evil design. As men get together, they are able to communicate any evil design. They are enabled to fathom it with common counsel and to oppose it with united strength. Then he says, no man who is inflamed by vain glory into enthusiasm can flatter himself that his single, unsupported, unsystematic endeavors of power to defeat the subtle designs and united cables of ambitious citizens. In other words, they are easily empowered to influence and lead other people astray. And it says, when bad men combine, the good must associate. When bad people get together... Good must penetrate and infiltrate that bad to try and make a difference. And he says, else they will fall one by one an unpitied sacrifice in a contemptible struggle. And so what is he saying there? If we do absolutely nothing, evil will just reign by itself. You don't need to do too much to allow evil to reign. That's Position, disposition is if you actually get involved and penetrate the situation. One such person was King Hezekiah, and our reading will be read by Suzanne this morning. Thank you. Second Kings eighteen one to eight. In the third year of Hosea, son of Elah, king of Israel, Hezekiah son of Ahaz, king of Judah, began to reign. He was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem for 29 years. His mother's name was Abijah, daughter of Zechariah. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, just as his father David had done. He removed the high places, smashed the secret stones, and cut down the Asherah poles. He broke into pieces the bronze snake 
Moses had made. For up to that time, the Israelites had been burning incense to it. It was called Nahushtan. Hezekiah trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel. There was no one like him among the kings of Judah, either before him or after him. He held fast to the Lord and did not stop following him. He kept the commands the Lord had given Moses. And the Lord was with him. He was successful in whatever he undertook. He rebelled against the king of Assyria and did not serve him. From watchtower to fortified city, he defeated the Philistines as far as Gaza and its territory. Thank you so much. Friends, just some basic background information. King Hezekiah comes and uh, rules, uh, and we read about that after uh, Ahaz. Then in 2 Kings 18 verse 4, uh, we read that he removed the high places. He broke those images. Uh, he, he begins to purge those idols and begins to bring in the truth of who uh, the true and living God is and brings the kingdom that he is king of under the submission of Yahweh, the true and living God. And that brazen serpent that... Moses had put into place that becomes an idol in a superstitious and mysterious way. God gives him the wisdom to be able to see. It's just something called Nehushtan, which actually means it's a piece of copper. That's all it is. It's got no power. It's got no authority. But God gives him the wisdom to see that. Then in verse 7, we see that God was with him. And he rebels against the king of Assyria and acting in his faith in the true and living God, they begin to worship the supreme king of the universe once again. And heathen oppression and heathen worship leaves and God blesses the nation once again. And so what are some of the lessons we can learn about righteousness from the life of Hezekiah? Firstly, Hezekiah was characterized by the possession of a profound and genuine personal holiness. We read about that in verses 5 and 6. The Bible says in verse 6, He held fast to the Lord and did not stop following Him. He kept the commands. If you look back, every great movement was characterized by a leader that was filled with holiness, personal holiness. And he was in a place of righteousness, which means, and the word righteousness means an acceptable position before God. And that was King Hezekiah. He was in a position because he held fast. That word held fast, or those words in the Hebrew Dabak means he abided or bowed. He held on to the things of God. He was able to cleave on the things of God. He was metaphorically able to take off who he was as a person and able to clothe himself and hold fast to the things of God. That word means he was stuck to God. 
he was joined together with God, and he held fast to God. He followed God's commands closely, is what that word means. And so God reveals the secret to this Hezekiah, the king, on how you will reign and how you will have power in your kingdom. And that was as he held on to the things of God. But then in verse 2, just kind of out of nowhere, <laughs> there's a, a sentence about his mother. And it says, his mother's name was Abijah, daughter of Zechariah. And you kind of go, huh? And what's the point of that? I began to look at who this Abijah was, and uh, she was a godly, godly woman. And if you look at her life, because Abijah can be a name for a man or a woman, but in this particular case, a woman, and the name actually means, my father is Yahweh. My father is Yahweh. And so here we read that she was a godly woman, but she was married to a very evil king. In 2 Chronicles 28, uh, we read her husband was Ahaz, evil king. And in verse 1 it says, He did not that which was right in the sight of the Lord. In other words, he did not do what pleased God. He was a rebel and he was allowing his kingdom to go uh, and worship these false uh, Asherah poles and all the rest. These superstitious things. And she prayed for her son. And God honored that. God honored that. If you're a mother here this morning, and you kind of go, well, my husband's gone off the tracks. My kids don't serve the Lord. Continue to pray for your husband and for your kids. God will honor that. God will honor that. He did that in the Old Testament he does it in the New Testament, and he will continue to do it for you and for me. Here is a godly woman who dedicated her life to the things of God, even under the reign of a bad husband and a bad king. She was able to focus on God. And here, God honors her faithful prayers through King Hezekiah. God honored her faithfulness. He was empowered because of his faith and trust in God, because he was a holy king. And that's crucial. If we want to be a mover and a shaker in the society we live in, holiness is something that we do for starters. Not we attend and then we live like pagans. There needs to be parity in who we say we are and what we do. You see, to know God means to love God and to love the things that God loves. And so he begins to break down the Asherah poles because he sings or he sees that they are not good and they are not pleasing in the sight of God. You'll only see that if you hold fast to the things of God. Secondly, Hezekiah was fearless and unhesitating in destroying all popular symbols of idolatry. We read in verse 4, he removed the high places. He smashed down the stones and cut down those Asherah poles. He was fearless in doing that. And that word he removed, it, uh, it's the Hebrew word sur, which means he turned them off. He turned them off. In other words, when they were on, he was able to come and turn them off. 
sorry, the other way. He turned them off. <laughs> they were on. But he made them powerless and he turned them off. He made them to have no power. He declined their authority is what that word means. He was able to pluck away their power, to withdraw their power. In other words, they were without power. Because Hezekiah held fast onto God, he was able to do that. And he did that fearlessly. He began this reforming work. And as he began to see what God had called him to do, he saw there was a lot of work to be done. And friends, we live in a day and age, if we look with spiritual eyes, with the truth, we have a great task to try and accomplish. Because it begins in our family. begins in our street. It begins in our vocations, in our workplaces, in our schools. And there is heaps to be done when it comes to that. You see... They took something that was a relic and they turned it into something that became important in a mysterious and very superstitious way. And so something that for King Hezekiah was simply a piece of copper, they turned it into something that was an idol and offered incense to it. In other words, there was this uh, mysterious sanctity uh, to what they were worshipping. Now, I don't know about you, and I hope I don't offend too many people, but the gospel is offensive. But I grew up in the Greek Orthodox Church, and we have icons. And this is an important icon because I was religious. My, mother's, or my, my wife's grandmother, late grandmother, gave me uh, the icon with no saint on it, but Father, Son, and Holy Spirit because I was the religious one in the family. So I got the best icon. And she said, you keep this close to you. You must kiss it regularly, she said. Kiss it regularly. It will look after you. Now I know what icons are. There's nothing special about them. They fall down, they break, you know. Uh, there's nothing, you know, they, they, what we call pantheism, God in everything is in this, is in that. No. And so, you begin to see that we can easily turn this into something superstitious. And if it's not near us, then we begin to think that there's something going on. When our little boy was born, family friends gave us little icons. Put it in Michael's cot. He won't get sick. He won't cry. Whatever. Keep this close to you. You know, in Africa and some of the animistic religions, potions. Go to the witch doctor, and he'll give you something. You put that in your pocket, you are bulletproof. Nothing will hurt you. Bullets will dodge past you. You could do whatever you want, they won't touch you. Be careful. Well, that's Africa, and that's the Greek church. <laughs> But what about you and me as I've offended my own culture first? Let me offend yours too. Be careful of the meaning of chopsticks standing upright in your rice. That's only for dead people, you see. What about opening an umbrella indoors? Don't do that. Bad luck. 
Don't do that. No, no, close it. We don't do that. Or the number four. (laughs) Don't go near number four. Number nine is bad. Oh, no, no. No, no, we love this house, but it's, as long as it's not number four, number nine, we'll, we'll take any house, even if we don't like it. As long as it's not number four, we like number four, but no, that's bad luck. Number 13, especially if it's a Friday, Friday, the th- God forbid. I knew it was going to happen. I knew it. The number 666. No, no, we don't want anything associated with that number. When you get an email and it's a chain letter, make sure you forward it on. Because you bring about a curse if you don't. You break that chain letter, there'll be trauma and, and trouble in your life. I knew I should have forwarded it on. Let me switch on and forward it on. Hopefully it'll go away. When my late brother-in-law passed away, one of the aunts said, I knew it. I saw a black cat in the morning and I knew it was going to happen. Wow. Never knew my aunt was uh, quite a medical specialist. Careful you don't knock the salt shaker over. Dangerous. That step ladder, don't walk under it. Bad luck will come upon you. Oh, goodness, we broke the mirror. (laughs) Bad luck, bad luck. In South Africa... In the African culture, we don't uh, say that somebody is this short or this tall, because that means they won't grow more than your hand has put on them. You've got to do this. <laughs> Clearly, somebody did it to me quite early. <laughs> no, no, no. H- how, how tall is your son? That means he's still going to shoot up. Last night at Kubilap, after I preached this, they said, no, give your child almonds, they'll grow quickly. So on the way home, guess what we bought? Um, it's kind of some of those superstitious things that we put power in. And we laugh about them, especially the horoscope. Mm. And we allow ourselves to be led astray by some of these things, some of these mysterious and crazy objects but they begin to dictate and lead our lives. That's dangerous. Hezekiah was fearless in tearing them down because of who the true and living God was. So those are negative symbols. But sometimes we put a lot of energy in positive symbols, like, for example, the number seven, or perhaps the number eight, or if you see an albatross, that's good luck. Or if a ladybird sits on you, I'm going to pass my exam. That's a sign from above. <laughs> That's a sign. Ladybird sits on you. And we begin to, to use all different things uh, and allow these mysterious things to bring about some religious connotation to what we're talking about. What is non-essential, we often turn into something that is essential for our lives. Friends, we need to break those things down. If we're going to be movers and shakers in our families and in our societies, then we need to make sure that we make a difference in our own lives first and fearlessly stand against the truth. Just uh, last week there was um, 
some exams at the uni, and one of the students sat in the wrong position. And uh, we said to her, sorry, that's the wrong chair or the wrong desk because that's another student's desk, and so you need to sit it. So when long-term uh, or complicated logistics. And so we said to her, you need to move. And she absolutely refused to move. Why? Because if she moves, bad karma will come upon her and she'll fail her exam. We said to her, sadly, you need to move. She refused. And so we had to leave her there rather than cause a commotion because bad karma will come across her. Friends, these are dangerous things that we allow to come and change our lives and infiltrate. We need to stand against them. Thirdly, Hezekiah secured the prospering blessing of God. It says in verse 7 and 8, And the Lord was with him. You see, because of his righteous obedience, because he was acceptable before God, he was able to obey the true and living God and realize who God is. And as he did that, God blessed him. The Bible says the Lord was with him. That word means the Lord was before him, equally with him. The Lord was among him, between him, and in fact, the Lord was against him. And that's a positive against, because when, when Hezekiah wanted to go off and do something that was not in the plan and purpose of God, God was against him to direct him to stay on the right path. That's what God calls us to do. And if we are faithful in doing what God has called us to do, God will be with us. Verse 7 is a powerful verse. God was with him. And I believe the person who works for God will not go unblessed. And so God will be with them. God will turn our weakness into strength. He will give us uh, the, dignif- the dignity in difficult times. He will turn our defeat into victory. And he will turn our suffering into joy. Because God was with Hezekiah and God will be with us. If I look at uh, the life of Hezekiah, somebody that comes to mind is Martin Luther. And I want to very quickly draw some parallels between Martin Luther, that great reformer uh, in the early 1500s who brought about change uh, through his own life and his own calling. He was a man who was a professor of theology. He was a monk. He was a priest. He was a composer. But he stood up for what was right. And he was dead against the view on indulgences. And that means to pay money to reduce the amount of punishment uh, one will have to undergo for one's sins. And so if I look at Hezekiah and I look at Martin Luther, I see a couple of points there. Number one, both had a personal realization of the truth. They knew what was right. They knew what was wrong. And how did they know that? Because secondly, they had a high regard and love for the divine word. Hezekiah didn't have the whole Bible that you and I have. He knew the Ten Commandments, though. He knew that the first two commandments had to do with worshiping the true and living God only and making no other idol before God. No graven image. Rather, the truth of who the true and living God is. Martin Luther knew what the Scriptures said. And he pushed back on some of the principles at the time. Very, very powerful. 
Thirdly, they were both distinguished by a very strong faith. They trusted in the Lord God of Israel, Yahweh, and they believed that God was on their side. They were also men of prayer. If you look in the next chapter, Hezekiah goes down on his knees and he, he, he calls on God and he says, God, won't you come down metaphorically and lend us your ear and hear our prayers? Wow, how powerful is that? God, we are dependent on you. In fact, said of Martin Luther that he could not get on with his day without spending three hours in prayer. He's so busy that he could not get the power to live his life the way he's supposed to live it without three hours of prayer. Wow, powerful. Also, they had definite beliefs and convictions. Now, friends, there's a difference between being convinced about something and a conviction. A conviction says that this is what God has given me, and I need to respond to it. I'm convicted in my heart. You see, to be convinced is easy, but to be convicted in your heart, that's by the power of the Holy Spirit. Also, they had the courage of their convictions to make a definite change and a decisive action in the society that they lived in. You see, Hezekiah attacked the idolatries of his time, and Luther was able to speak about the corruptions of the day, and he spoke with absolute conviction. They enjoyed the guiding wisdom of God. That's important, because we can often be sincere, but sincerely wrong. But because God was with them, God was able to reveal the truth to them. And in obedience, they listened to God. You see, Hezekiah saw this, this brazen image that Moses put into place, saw it as just a piece of brass or copper that has got no power or authority over their lives. That's the wisdom of God. Then also, they witnessed the success of their efforts. God was with them. A small nation that King Hezekiah looked up to or over. He was in charge of that kingdom and other nations came against them and God was with them and they were able to conquer those nations. You see, what seems foolishness to others is profound before God. And what God says to you and to me by his Holy Spirit and through his word, we're able to see it as what, what others might see as foolishness. You and I know that that's the truth. And so how do we impact our society? How do we impact our families? How do we impact uh, the places where God has called us to? How do I and how do you become a mover and a shaker in our society? I think firstly and in closing, a strong faith in God. That's uh, a most basic truth. To put our faith and trust in God and to um, have a strong relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. A strong relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Secondly, a righteous character that's more dependent on God than on public popularity. Sometimes we will not be popular. If we're going to stand up for what the Word of God says and to speak against the truth, we're not going to be famous. We're not going to be popular. But we do it because God has convicted us to do it. And so there's a spiritual connection to God 
and we carry out that truth by the power of the Holy Spirit. And then I think spiritual insight is very important. You see, again, we don't see power and authority in idols and in symbols that can often bring about our downfall. We put our faith and trust in the true and living God alone. Fourthly, some generous ideas. What I mean by that is taking steps of faith. Sometimes God would want us to take a leap of faith because when we look back, we'll be able to say, God was with us. To God be the glory. And then great zeal in carrying out that action. But also, we need to be very, very careful of pride. Beware of pride. Who am I doing this for? Am I doing it for myself? Is it truly a conviction? Or kind of am I trying to make a statement of who I am? God needs to get the fame and the honor and the glory out of what we're called to do. Great diplomacy is also needed. What I mean by great diplomacy, the words we say and the actions we take need to be seasoned, rather saturated in love. Because we can be so effective, or we think we are effective, but we can easily become a stumbling block for somebody else. As God calls us, may we saturate the things that we say and do in love. Know that it is God who has inspired us and it is God that will empower us to carry it through. And then finally, throughout the process, keep the commands of God. And what are the commands of God? Well, they're found in this book. It's called the Bible. Somebody gave me a Bible once and in the front he wrote, with this book, don't impart just knowledge, but impart life. And as we read this book called the Bible, may we be movers and shakers And may we impart life to those we come into contact with. Again, what Burke said, the only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. For good men to do nothing. In 1993, at a cross-country championship held in California, 123 of the 128 runners missed a turn. One competitor, Mike Del Carvo, stayed on the 10,000-meter course and began waving for fellow runners to follow him. Del Carvo was able to convince only four other runners to go with him. Asked what his competitors thought of his mid-race decision not to follow the crowd, he responded by saying, they thought it was funny that I went the right way. And friends, we live in a day and age like that where when you do the right thing, you're labeled a weirdo or a reformer or an activist. God calls us to be movers and shakers in our society. Dalcovo was one who ran correctly. In the same way, our goal is to run correctly, to finish the race marked out for us by Christ. We can rejoice over those who have courage to follow the Lord, ignoring the cheering of the crowd. As the Apostle Paul said in 2 Timothy 4, verses 7 and 8, he said, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. 
Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness. The word I've fought, the word fought there, is the word agonizome in the Greek, where we get the English word agonize. I have struggled, I've agonized, I've competed, I have fought, I have labored fervently. I have labored fervently in this good fight. I finished the race. I have kept the faith. The word kept there means I've guarded and observed the faith. I've reserved it. I've attended to the faith carefully. I've read the scriptures and know what they say and keep them carefully. And so what's the outcome of that? Wow, now there is a crown of righteousness. A position that is acceptable before God. To him be the glory and the honor. Friends, the only way we're going to make a difference is if we take whatever is in our pocket or wherever it is, the gifts, the talents that God has given us, and we put them into practice. They are of no good hidden away. We need to take them out and use them. At the info point, there's a little card that says opportunities to serve. Put down your details on that so we can slot you in somewhere where you can serve in this church, in our society, and make a difference. You say, well, I don't have too much to contribute. Well, we can make a difference if we're just prepared to take that step. My beautiful mother says, every drop counts. Because drop by drop, we will fill the bucket. Drop by drop, we will fill the bucket. If each of us contributes a little bit through our gifts and our talents and shakes whatever God has given us, we can make a difference in the society that we live in. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word to our hearts. Thank you, Lord, that it's not by might nor by power, but only by your Holy Spirit that we're able to accomplish what you have called us to. So, Lord, reveal the way forward for us, we pray. Guide us, lead us. Lord, whatever you convict us with, may we be found faithful in doing that. We long to hear the words, well done, my good and faithful servant. Guide us, Lord. Fill us with wisdom, zeal, and courage to do what you've called us to. For your honor, for your fame, even to the ends of the earth. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you enjoyed this message from Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. If you'd like to talk to someone about what you've heard today, then you can contact the team at Mount Pleasant Baptist Church by calling the office during office hours on 9329-1777. Thanks for joining us. We look forward to your company again soon. God bless.